Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Uh, in December last year, we were at our nephew's birthday party. Now, Candice um, and I, my wife, we don't have kids. So, so kids' birthday party is always weird. Like anybody you relate to who doesn't have kids and gets invited to kids, you're that weird aunt or uncle, and you don't know, do you, do you talk to the kids, because it is the kid's birthday party, you talk to the adults who are complaining about, you know, the, my kid did this, 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 and, they, and, and then they threw up on the way here, and I haven't had sleep in years, and then they look at you and they say, but kids are great. <laughs> parents, some, some parents are more passionate about their air fryer than their kids sometimes. I'll tell you about all the things that they cooked in the air fryer, how you can't live without the air fryer. Hey, where's your kids? I don't know. They're somewhere here. But my air fryer, let me tell you. <laughs> and we, um, at, at this point, I should probably explain something. You can't see my wife. She's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and she has less melanin than me. She, she's white. And <laughs> now the reason that that is important is when I say we were at our nephew's uh, birthday party, like Candace, they have blonde hair, blue eyes, and are also white. This is very important for the story. So I decided to go play with my nephew. I don't know how old, how old's Carter? Six, he's six. He does what six-year-olds do. They play in things. And he was on those, one of those little bikes, and he was ri- running around, riding around. So I said, oh, well, Carter. So I start chasing him. And then the closer I get to him, the faster he goes. But the faster he goes, the louder he screams. He's like, don't touch me, you can't catch me, you're not going to catch me, leave me alone, you don't know me. I think it's funny until I see some of the staff at the party place decide to come. <laughs> so I say, I don't know. just tell them that you know me. The kid looks me in the eye. I don't know you. <laughs> it's funny now. Let me tell you, at the time it wasn't funny. So I decided, let me go back to the, the, the parents, hear about how great kids are, and um, get out of trouble. So I sit down and I speak to somebody, not, not somebody that I'm particularly close to, somebody that I'm familiar with, and I say, hey, how are you? And his response was this, I'm so ready to be done with this year. I can't do it anymore. I'm so done. And I wonder how many of us sitting here today, it may only be March, but I'm so done with this year. I can't wait for it to be done. I've got nothing left to give. And perhaps it's not just exhaustion from the year, but perhaps it's I've been trusting God for my healing for so long and it hasn't come through yet. I've been trusting God for my, 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 my business. I've been trusting God for a job and it hasn't happened and I've got nothing left to give. I've been trusting because I'm single to be in a relationship and God hasn't brought anyone along. I'm struggling to trust him anymore. Maybe you're, you're believing for unsaved friends and family. But each day that goes by, it seems more and more impossible. Maybe the reason you're sitting here today is because of a New Year's resolution. You said, I'm going to come to church more often. And as you said, yes, that New Year's resolution, you thought, you know, there won't be any trouble. But like we learned earlier, in this world, we will have trouble. But you find yourself here at the end of yourself, and you think, God's done, I'm done, and I have nothing left to give. Anyone relate? I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I think we need to remind ourselves that 
even when it feels like it's done, God's not done. And God has the final say. God is working all things together for good, and we need to trust Him. And that is all great, except when you're in the midst of it, it doesn't feel that way. If we're being honest, you're like, everyone's clapping because you don't understand. I might not, but God does. How do I know this? Because when I open the Bible, if you feel like you've got nothing left to give, you are in great company. Because there are many greats in the Bible who felt exactly the same. One of them is a man by the name of Elijah. Anybody familiar? There's Elijah. His protege's name is Elisha. At this point, I ask God, why can't we get more creative with names? Why have to be so similar? But Elijah is a great man of God, a prophet of God, called by God, used by God uh, to, to, to lead the nations. In fact, at the start of the, 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 the story of Elijah, he goes to the king. He says, because you walked far away from God, it's not going to rain. He stopped the rain. Then he comes back, and then he defeats the prophets of Baal, which is, uh, which is another God that they believed in. And he says, okay, if your God is real, I'm putting some meat in the bride. If it catches, it's a South African version. It's, if, he's, if he's the real God, it'll catch a light without any help. I know that my God's real. I'm going to put it on our little section. He lets the prophets go. Eventually, he starts getting a little bit cheeky because it's not happening. He says, then what is it, like load shedding up there that he can't hear you? Maybe there's no signal. And eventually, the prophets of Baal give up, and then he, instead of just lighting the meat, he gets the Israelites in the middle of a drought to pour water on the meat to make it harder to light, and then he lights it. What happens is when that happens, the nation believe in God, they turn back to God, and then, remember, he stopped it raining, raining, then Elijah literally makes it rain. Literal rain, not makes it rain. <laughs> and you know what's interesting is that's part of his life. He, he does many things. Right after that, he outruns a horse. Right, that's supernatural or a slow horse. I, I don't, I don't actually. <laughs> but he outruns a horse. He goes up to heaven in a chariot. He doesn't die. He goes up to heaven in a chariot of fire. It's not just a cool song. It's actually a thing that happened in the Bible. And the reason I'm telling you all of this is when you hear a great man of God like that, you think that his life must have been perfect, but it wasn't. In fact, this, he was so admired by God that when Jesus walked the earth, God sent Elijah back down to meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So just to paint a picture of who Elijah is. And yet right after one of his biggest victories when he defeats the prophet, we're going to pick up the prophets of all, we're going to pick up a scripture where his life is threatened and under attack. Let's take a look at what it says in 1 Kings 19. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. Feel free to take notes. Elijah would have. <laughs> 1 Kings 19 says this, Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servants there. That's interesting, right? It says, verse 4, and he, but he himself, remember to say he himself. That'll make sense later. Went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough. Anybody ever turn to God and say, God, it's enough? I'm done trusting you. I'm done believing you. Uh, it's enough. I've got nothing left. And this is where Elijah is. Remember, this great man of God going to go up to heaven, sent back down. So not only does he not die, Jesus, God sends him back down to meet Jesus. That guy is experiencing what you and I experience today. So I love about the Bible being written from the perspective of man because we can relate to the low moments and the high moments. 
the wins and the losses, the moments of insecurity, the moments of disappointment, and the moments where we don't know what to do. And he goes, it's enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. The scripture goes on to say, and he laid down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. Now, I've never met an angel before. But I'm willing to bet that if I was asleep and an angel tapped me on the shoulders and woke me up, because I live in South Africa, one of two things. First, crime, and I'd be scared. But secondly, I'd pay attention. But take a look at what happens at verse 6. And behold, and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he got up. No, the Bible says, and he lay down again. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. The title of your message is simply this, The Journey is Too Great. Today we're going to take a look at what we're going to do when the journey is too great, when we don't have the strength in and of ourselves. Because if Elijah had stopped here, stopped here, he wouldn't have heard from God. He wouldn't have performed miraculous things. And he wouldn't have ascended into heaven. Don't cut our journey short. What do we do when the journey is too great in our life, when we're tired, when, we're, when we've been trusting God? We don't give up because God's not done. God is still working. And even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we can't see a way out, we need to trust in the principles of God's word. You know, what's interesting is how the scripture starts in verse 3. It says, then he was afraid. Everyone say afraid. And he rose and ran for his life. I find it interesting. It says he was afraid. So he was afraid, which means there was fear. That fear led to an action, and that action affected the direction of his life. And it's the same thing with us. If we are afraid, it can often lead to action, and that action can determine the direction of our life. So the first point is this, is we need to fight fear. This story, this, uh, this unpacking, the first thing that happens is Elijah is afraid. And because he's afraid, he acts. And you see, so often what we can do is if we don't fight fear, it can lead us away from God's purpose and into a wilderness of anxiety, of isolation, of loneliness, of uncertainty, and we need to trust God. You see, maybe right now we're even sitting here and we're living in this, with a sense of fear. Fear of what might happen tomorrow in our country. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of missing out. You see, the thing we need to understand in our lives is simply this. is Fear is guaranteed. And it doesn't mean that there's a lack of faith. Many people who are full of faith were afraid in the Bible, but it, it, they didn't let it dictate their future because God held their future. Because God held their future, they were not determined by, they were not led by the fear, but they ruled over the fear. And if God is our future, we need to choose happiness and joy and peace and faith and trust in God despite what it feels like. We can't be led or lived, ruled by a spirit of fear. That's why it says in 2 Timothy, um, for God gave us a, a spirit not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. We have the love of God. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility to take the self-control and rule over our fear. You know, one of the things that we, are, uh, that we often have is a fear of failure. Maybe I failed in my past, so I'm going to fail in my future. Or I just don't even know that if I have the strength in me to try because I'm so petrified of, of failure. Maybe 2022 didn't go the way that you want. It doesn't mean that 2023 is going to be a failure. It doesn't mean that God's done. And you see, the thing about failure and the thing about fear is this, is we all are fearful and we all fail. Anybody not failed ever in their life? You see, we all failed. The thing is nobody posts about it. Let me take this second. Look at, look at me. I just failed. What a good failure. Woohoo! Hashtag failure life. Nobody says that. You see, failure is inevitable, but it's not final. Because the only thing that is final is what God has to say about it. And God can turn our failure into success. We need to learn from it. We need to trust Him. We need to stop taking a temporary setback like failure and making it a permanent sentence over our lives. I may have failed, but it doesn't make me a failure. We can't camp at failure. Instead, we need to learn from failure and step into everything that God has for us. We see this all the, all the time, whether it be in business or in sports. Anybody familiar with Michael Jordan? Just raise your hand if you know Michael Jordan. He's the basketball player. Anybody familiar with, with Jordan's The Shoe? Also after Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Here's a quote from him that I love. He said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. We need to learn to take the failure, even if it's repeated, and say, I'm going to learn from it because it could lead to my success. We see this in business. Is anybody familiar with a man by the name of Sir James Dyson? Perhaps you're familiar with his vacuum cleaner, hair straightener, and uh, hair dryer. Did you know that in order for that company, Dyson, to get it off the ground, there were over 5,000 failed prototypes before he found success? 5,000. Not five. I just stopped after five. 10, 20, 100. A thousand, two thousand, four thousand, over five thousand failed prototypes, and today he's worth nine point three billion dollars. Everybody is familiar with Albert Einstein. Did you know that Albert Einstein only spoke at the age of four? And he only began reading at the age of seven. His teacher said he is not academically inclined. And yet Albert Einstein went on to win a Nobel Peace Prize. He altered the world's approach to physics. Imagine if he had listened to his teacher. Physics wouldn't look the way that it does. Some of us might have passed physics in high, in high school, though. So it's... Anybody here familiar with Theodore Seuss? Also known as Dr. Seuss. Rejected by 27 publishers and has now sold over 600 million copies of these books worldwide in some of the best movies ever. What do all of these people have in common? Success. But what they also have in common is the process to get to success was failure after failure after failure. But they didn't let it stop them from trying. And we can sometimes say, what if I fail? But what if you don't? 
What if this is the, what if, what if this is 5,193? This is the one that's gonna work. This is the shot that's gonna work. This is the opportunity that's going to work. We need to keep on going and not let fear stop us. Is this helping? So we continue in our message. It's important to remember this. We have the fear of failure, but we can also have the fear of rejection. Anybody? I remember when I was single, that was a real. You laugh, it's true. But what happens if we have the fear of rejection at work by our boss? In our business, what do you have the fear of rejection by our family? I think one of the saddest things with the fear of rejection is we can sometimes put the fear of rejection on other people that we end up rejecting ourselves before we give other people the opportunity to reject ourselves. Can I, can I just give you something that's going to change your life? Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, came to the earth and He was perfect. Everyone say perfect. Do you know what people did to Him? They rejected Him. They rejected so, Him so much they canceled Him and they put Him on a cross. If Jesus, who was perfect, was rejected by people, it's only a matter of time before we are. The thing is, we just don't get, we are not determined, we don't live determined by the rejection of people. We say, hey, I know whose I am, I know the price that he paid, and I know he's got a plan and a purpose for my life. Don't reject yourself before anyone else can. And don't reject yourself on God's behalf. God can't use me, my life's too broken. My life's too dirty. You don't do dirty. People have walked all over me. Never forget in the book of Genesis when God, Genesis when God chose to make man, He used dirt. It was gold, and onyx, and precious stones in the garden, but God chose the dirt of the ground. Do you know what dirt is? It's things that are broken, that it's been walked all over, and that it's dirty. And perhaps that's a picture of your life. Well, if you put it in the hands of God, He'll He'll form it, He'll mold it, and He'll breathe the breath of life into it. So we need to fight fear. Ready for point number two? In the back, you ready for point number two? In the balcony, you ready for point number two? Why is the balcony lighter than? I like it. Point number two is this, don't isolate. So the first thing was you need to fight fear because he was afraid and he led him in a direction. Often fear leads us to isolation. When we are afraid, when we act based on our feelings and our emotions, it takes us to a place of isolation. The Bible says he left his servants there by themselves. And in verse 4 of 1 Kings 19, it says, but he himself, remember to say himself, went a, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. How he got to sitting down under that tree was he first was afraid. Then he isolated. And so often when we give up, we end up isolating but so often when we isolate, we end up wanting to give up. And it becomes this vicious cycle that never ends of wanting to give up and isolating. And because I'm isolated, I wanted to give up. I'm not going to trust God anymore. What we need to learn to do is we need to learn to trust God. We just had a men's conference. Any men at the conference? Wow, that's such a good advert for men's conference. Let's try to get any men at the conference. You know, and I love the theme of the conference. It was this. No man left behind. Because we're not created to do life by ourselves. In our conference, I shared on this, but I want to share, share, with it, share it with you today. When I look through the Bible and I see some of the greats, Elijah included, I've noticed something. We recently looked at the life of Noah. Anyone remember? Noah built an ark, kind of a big deal. And 
Noah builds an ark. He's blameless. He walks with God. But the Bible tells us this, that after the ark, when he was alone, he got drunk. King David, the giant slayer, the great leader of the Israelites, a man after God's own heart, when he was alone, when the rest of his soldiers were at war, he decides to take up sightseeing. Now, if you're wondering why people are laughing, it's a Christian joke. Let me explain. What David did was he decided to go look out of the balcony. When he looked out, he saw a lady bathing by the name of Bathsheba. The irony in the name, again, is just... Only God could write that. And he sees her, so then he commits a sin with her. That's a Christian way of saying he sleeps with her. Then she gets pregnant. So then David has this plan. He gets uh, her, his, her, her husband, sorry, her husband to come back from war to sleep with her so that the husband would think that it's his child. When he refuses to do that because the other men are at war, do you know what he does? He then puts Uriah, that's Bathsheba's husband. The reason I say Uriah is he wasn't just anyone. He was one of David's mighty men when you read in the Bible. One of the men closest to David, one of the men who stood by David before he was king. One of the, king who fought, one of the, the people who fought alongside him, and he puts him in the front line of battle to die. How does that happen? Is when David was alone, he took up sightseeing. Well, if you look at the New Testament, we see Judas. Now, we all look at Judas and say, well, you know, he, at the time you didn't know that. The Bible tells us that Judas was empowered by Jesus. He went out and he healed the sick. He laid hands on people. He was trusted by God, with, with, by Jesus, with the money bag. Now, granted, he used to take a little bit on the side. But he goes to betray Jesus alone. Peter, the rock in which he was, which the rock, the one who was going to build Christ's church. I'll never deny you, Jesus. He had so much faith. Did you know that Jesus didn't ask Peter to walk on the water? Peter asked Jesus for permission. That's how much faith Peter had. And yet, when he's alone, he denies Jesus. There's a pattern here, the great men empowered by God, doing the miraculous, men of faith. When they're alone, they, it results in their lowest moments in their life. And I feel like this should be a warning to you and I. No matter how close to God we are, no matter how much we know the work, full of faith, operating in the Spirit, doing everything that God wants us to do, if we try and do this thing called life alone, it increases the level or the, the chance of failure. We need people in our life. Because even Elijah, when he's by himself, he stoops down. And if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And I think especially when we're ready to give up on God and his plans and on his purpose and what he has for our life. It shouldn't surprise us. That's why the Bible in Genesis 2 says, then the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Do you know why that's important? It's the first time God said, it's not good. In the Bible, isolation and loneliness is never part of God's plan, part of God's design. And that's not just a scripture for the single people like, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. We all need people around us. You can't do this thing called life alone. And it's not about the number of people you have. I don't care how many people you're following you. I don't care how many people you call your friends. Who are we willing to open up to? Who are we willing to have the tough conversations with? Pray for me for this. Help me with this. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Are we vulnerable enough? Do we have enough wisdom to choose people correctly? The third point is this, is we need God's 
touch. So often when we've got nothing left to give, we try to do it in our own strength. We forget that we need the touch of God to do something miraculous in our life. You see, God's touch is important. You know in the scripture, it says that the angel didn't go to, didn't go to him and give him a pep talk. The angel didn't come up to Elijah and say, hey buddy, come on, you've got it in you. There's a lion in you, raw. He said, just manifest what you want. You know what the angel said? Get up. He says, arise, get up, eat, drink, get ready to go. But before he does that, the Bible says the angel touches Elijah. Before we try to get up, before we try to get going, we first need the touch of God, especially when we can't and we have nothing to give. We can't do it in our own strength. If Elijah looked inside of himself, he would have spiraled more and more and more out of control. In fact, what we need is we need the Savior's touch. As Jesus walked through the, uh, the earth in the New Testament, he, he healed people, he, pre he preached, and he taught. But the Bible often says this, he laid hands on people. And take a look at what it says in Luke 4. It says, as the sun went down. Can I just, perhaps you feel like the sun is going down in your situation. Perhaps right now you feel like there is no hope. Why do I even bother? As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. And take a look at what happens after that. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand killed everyone. We need the touch of his hand right now. In our low moments when we feel like we can't go, but we always need the touch of God, through disappointments, through everything. And here's the thing is sometimes we need to reach out to God to get a touch from him. In the New Testament, there's a woman who has an issue of bleeding for 12 years. And the Bible says, whilst there's a crowd, she comes up behind Jesus, she reaches out and she just manages to touch the hem, the bottom of his robe. The Bible says as she did that, she's instantly healed. Jesus has this encounter with her. She had to reach out to Jesus. But in that next scripture, the reason the crowd was there and where Jesus was heading was to a man named Jairus' house because his daughter was dead. As Jesus touches this woman, as this woman touches Jesus' cloak, Jairus gets news that his daughter's dead. Jesus still goes to the house, kicks everybody out, and the Bible says Jesus lay hands on the girl and said, little girl, sit up. She was dead. Sometimes in our life, we need to reach out to God. Sometimes in our life when we don't have the strength, when it feels dead and it's gone and it's too late, God will reach out his hand and touch us. And it may not be, it's just sleeping. It may not be dead. That's why church is so important. Because it's an opportunity for you and I to get the touch of God. As we stand in worship, it's why it's important to get you early. Worship is not a warm-up. It's not just to give the guys a go. It's an opportunity for us to have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with the Savior, to reach out to heaven, to touch the hem of his robe where we, can't, where we can, and where we can't trust his presence to fall upon us and say, as he works in our life. We need to let him lift us up. We can't look inside of ourselves. Like I said, Elijah would have spiraled. We need to let him lift us up, because if he doesn't lift us up, our feelings will always, always, always drag us down. 
Just like Elijah, he felt so he did. So he isolated, so he went away. We need to trust God. Is this helping? You know, often it's much easier to be dragged down, especially when we're at the end of ourselves. Or somebody once told me, Chris, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. So have you read the Bible? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he won't give you more temptation than you can handle. But what the Bible doesn't say is God won't give you more than you can handle. Because when I look at all the greats of faith in the Bible, God often gave them more than they could handle. Because if you can handle it, why would you need God? And right now... I feel like you might be in a point where you're ready to give up. You're like, I can't handle it. God's like, exactly. Because at the end of ourselves is the beginning of God. That's where he begins to work. That's where he begins to move. That's where he begins to do what we can't. We need to, just like Elijah, we need to admit that we can't do it. Verse 7 of 1 Kings 19. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Turn to the person next and say, it's too great Turn to the other person that you ignored and say, God's greater. <laughs> and turn to the first person and say, don't isolate. <laughs> you see, we need to look to God when we feel down, when we're too far down, because God isn't done with us yet. Elijah was at the lowest point of his life. And maybe you're like, Chris, that's me right now. This message would have been helpful a year ago, two years ago, a week ago. Look what Psalm 145 says. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. You want to relate to that today? The eyes of all who look to you in hope, you give them their food as they need it. That is exactly what happens with Elijah. He got his food as he needed it. You know what your next point is? Eat. I'll explain that now. But eat. The angel did not pray for Elijah. The angel did not give him a pep talk and carry Elijah. The angel offered Elijah an opportunity to eat bread, carbs, <laughs> love carbs. And what we need to understand in our lives is when we're low, just like Elijah, we need to eat. And when I say eat, I don't mean eat food. And comfort eat. I'm saying what we need to do is we need to feed on what God has given us. Because the angel brought something that was God given to Elijah. And what it was was bread and water. And so often in our life, when we look at our life, what God has given us is bread, which is our daily bread, which is the word of God. And the water is his presence and the Holy Spirit washing over us, fueling us, helping us, comforting us, help, taking us to the next Level. And here's the thing is we can't just do it once and forget about it. We need to feed regularly. We can't go on what we don't have. I've tried that with my car before. It doesn't work. When we're low, we need to feed on what God gives us. You know what's interesting in that scripture in, in 1 Kings 19? It tells us that, it's going to come up on the screen, it tells us 
just how long that food lasted for in verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went to the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Not he went on the strength of that food indefinitely. Not he went on the strength of that food until he went up into heaven. There was a limit. It was a best before. It was 40 days. Here's a timeline for what we feed on. I think so many of us are trying to eat last year's bread to fuel us for the year that we're facing right now. We can't go on yesterday's food, last week's conference, last week's message. We can't even go on today's message. Do you know what we need to go on? Is opening God's Word on Monday, and then on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, and on Friday, and on Saturday, and on Sunday. And then after we've opened God's Word, you need the Holy Spirit, so you begin to pray, God, help me in this week. Help me navigate the challenges that I might have. We can't do this on yesterday's food. Our food is so important because... It's quite interesting. Elijah just eats. He gets up. He doesn't immediately step back into purpose. Do you know where God leads him? To a place called Zarephath, where there's a widow. She's got a little bit of flour. Maybe you're familiar with the story. And God says, she's going to feed you. And God performs a miraculous work there. But Elijah went from food to food. And perhaps that's a principle that you and I need to follow. We need to go from meal to meal with God. Not just to consume and be unhealthy because we need to apply what we put in, but we need to go from meal to meal to meal to meal to meal to meal until the miraculous begins to happen in our life. Next point is this, sleep. Something like, I can do that. That is within my skill set. Chris, I can actually do that. Thank you. I receive that. Some of you are like nudging the person next to you, he's talking to you. <laughs> you see, sleep is a picture of rest. So often in our lives, we need rest. We don't, we don't just need to know when to rest, we also need to know how to rest. Because rest isn't just sleeping, but it's resting in who God is. And rest is also used by God. Elijah could have been anxious, but he could have just been exhausted at the same time. And as we look at the, the Scripture, we need to understand that rest is used by God because it is holy. Do you know that? In the Bible, when something is mentioned for the first time, we should pay attention to it. Do you know when the first mention of the word rest is? Genesis. Some of you like it's a good guess, right? Do you know what it's referring to? Sorry, the first mention of the word holy? Genesis 2 verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it... Holy. Everyone say holy. Because it was the day when he rested. Everyone say rested. From all his work of creation. Rest is holy. Rest is used by God, ordained by God. We need to learn how to rest. Never forget, Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day. Rest is worship to God. Don't you find it interesting that Adam found his wife sleeping? He went to bed, and in the morning, there she was. He rested in the fact that God said it's not good for man to be alone. God will bring someone along. He wasn't swiping left and right on a Friday night in Tinder. <laughs> if you know what Tinder is, just ask a young person after the service. But rest is worship to God. 
Adam found his life partner because he trusted in God enough to rest. Adam and Eve, if they were created on the sixth day, they would have, Adam would have woken up on Sunday or the seventh day and said, what are we doing, God? We're resting, huh? No, you don't understand. I, just, I was literally born yesterday. Like, what are we going to do? I've got energy. Rest. Because if we don't rest properly, we don't do what God commanded us to do. When we rest, it says, God, I trust your commandments, and I trust what you're saying. Pride is an unwillingness to rest. You know, not resting is a form of idolatry. I'll explain. We need to ask ourselves, what is preventing us from resting in God and His Word and His promises? Is it work? Is it pride? Is it anxiety? Don't give those power. Rather give our power to God by resting in His Word and His truth and His plans and His purposes. You see, never be too busy to rest. You can't give it the power. What we can end up doing is if we don't rest, we can live life from empty to full. There's two kinds of people in this world, and they meet each other, and they get married. You get people who will only fill their car when they get to like a quarter. And then you get people who like to play this fun game. I call it the range game. Anybody relate? But it's, I mean, you, you might be okay, except when you don't, or when you miss, or then you, you, you're stranded at the side of the road. You'd never try to go from full to empty. It's like, anybody's phone battery dying is like the worst thing in the world. Like, you, you wake up in the morning, you take it off charge, you get to work, by the time you get home, it's dead. You live, anybody? Stephen, anybody else? Can I help you with you? Can I help you? Someone's friend is helping them lift their hand up. Can I help you today with your phone battery? Thanks for the three people. Everybody else obviously has iPhones and not Samsungs, and that's why they're not. So when I got my new phone, I wanted to see how to make sure that the battery lasts longer, so I did some research. So I'm going to give you four simple steps. The first step is this. Follow the product's instructions for charging. Some of you are like, I didn't even know there was an instruction manual for charging. There is. And men, it's okay to read the instruction manual. Unless you're trying to build something, then don't. Two, charge your battery often rather than letting it run all the way down. Some of us think, I remember when I first got my phone, 3310. You plug it in, you'd have to, you'd unplug it, you'd let it run flat, then you plug it in, you go all the way up, then you unplug it, because that was how your battery would last longer. Nowadays, with phones, the way the batteries work, it's actually better to not let it run all the way down because it lasts longer. Three, don't worry about leaving devices plugged in. You cannot overcharge your device. Devices now have something called a trickle charge, which means when it gets to a certain percentage, it charges it slowly so it doesn't overheat the battery. And number four is take regular breaks while using your device to prevent overheating. What if we apply those same principles to our life? Can we try that again? Follow the instructions. Our instruction manual for life is the Bible. The Bible tells us how to rest, how to trust God, what His plans, what His purposes are for us. The second point was charge your battery more often rather than letting it run all the way down. So often we can go from full to empty, full to empty. We need to have margin. We need to say, I'm not going to get to all the way down. I'm going to take breaks. I'm going to rest in God. I'm not going to burn myself out. Third thing is don't worry about leaving it plugged in. I've got some good news for you. You can never be too plugged into church. 
You can never be too plugged into God's presence, His Holy Spirit, and His Word, because when we are plugged in, it gives us something to flow out of. Take regular breaks while using the device. We can't just rest once and think it's okay. We need to find consistent rest throughout the year, throughout our lives. And I don't just mean taking a break, I mean resting in God. When the situation comes up, the first thing you say is, God, I'm resting in your plans and your word and your promises. I'm going to rest in you consistently. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm going to rest in you. And don't mistake rest for neglect. The difference between rest and neglect is this. Rest is I'm trusting God. Neglect is I'm not going to do it. And so often what we can do is, oh, I'm so busy, I'm not going to come to church. And you find it interesting that when people are busy, church is one of the first things to fall away. Make sure we prioritize church. Prioritize God's presence and being there. We need to rest in God's presence. If you read the scriptures in the Bible, some of you might be familiar with these stories. Some of the, the, the scariest moments in people's lives, they slept through. Daniel, in the Old Testament, slept in a lion's den. The Bible says that he went in, he slept, he woke up in the morning. Jesus, in the midst of a storm, slept. Peter, after Jesus ascended to heaven, was awaiting trial. Do you know what Peter did? He wasn't anxious. He wasn't panicked. He slept. Why is this important? Because when we know what we're made for, we learn what we're made of. And when we understand that, hey, I'm not made for this, Peter knew that Jesus told him, you'll die in your old age. He's like, I'm too young to die. I'm going to get through this. Jesus knew that he was going to die on a cross. Daniel knew that his God didn't, would never leave him or forsake him. So what all those people did was they rested in who God was, what his plans were, what his promises were, and they developed what it is they were made of because they remembered what it is they're made for. You know, I'm made for eternal purposes so we can rest in God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, I love it. It says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. This is Jesus speaking, and you will find rest for your souls. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. You see, what we need to understand is Rest isn't doing nothing. It's doing everything with God at our side. His word as our path, the Holy Spirit as our helper, Jesus as our savior, God as our Lord. And when we begin to do that, that's where we understand what real rest is. Ready for the last point? She said, eat, sleep, repeat. It didn't happen for Elijah in an instant. He didn't get the angel. The angel didn't touch him. Elijah got up and was like, okay, I'm ready for this. Wow, this is amazing. By the way, angels aren't like these little babies with wings. You read the biblical definition of, of angels. It's scary. How many wings is too many wings? Is what I, I get a Christian joke. If you read the Bible, you understand. He didn't jump up and get ready to go. The Bible says he ate, he drank, and he slept. He lay down 
again. There's no magic bullet because you don't serve the God of magic bullets and quick fixes. We serve the God of the process, the God of the seasons, the God who is faithful, the God who sees the end from the beginning, and He knows everything that you need and what it's going to look like, but there's a process to follow because when we keep on trusting God, repetition helps us win the battles that we might fight. And I don't know what the battle is that you're fighting today, but I know what the answer is. It's repetition. Margaret Thatcher put it this way. You may have to fight the battle more than once to win it. Perhaps you're here near the end of yourself. You're like, how on earth am I here again? Well, you might have to fight the same battle more than once to win it. Life's not going to be perfect. But God's here. God is real. He wants to help you. And we need to keep on trusting Him. We need to keep on fighting fear. We need to keep on making sure that we are not isolating. We need to keep on eating. We need to keep on resting. And we need, we need to repeat it. Because when we repeat it, that's where we get the touch of God that you and I need so desperately. That's why worship is so great. Because when we worship God despite our situation, it says, God, I'm... I've never walked alone. God, you've never actually abandoned me. Even when I didn't feel like it, God, you were always faithful. You were always there. You will always be faithful. So I need to keep on trusting you, God. I'm going to keep on repeating my worship. I'm going to keep on repeating coming to you. I'm going to keep on repeating because you are the God who repeats your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy. You are faithful in every hour, in every minute. He's always been there. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.